My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And in January, we do summer camp and we look at spiritual practices. So summer camp, we don't go anywhere. We just have some here. Maybe one day we'll actually have a summer camp and go somewhere. But it's just kind of come in, relax together, break up into groups, and let's discuss spiritual practices. Spiritual practices exist to connect you to God. That's why they exist. They exist to be able to tick boxes. They don't exist for you to be able to feel prideful about how often you've read the Bible or how much you've prayed. They don't exist so that you can get up and say, I'm the best faster. They don't exist, uh, you know, if you are the best faster, we'll all know because your breath will be terrible. Uh, they don't exist. Um, to make you insecure, to feel condemned because you said, I was going to read the Bible every day and you haven't done it once this week and now you feel awful about your, your life. And when people say, how are you going with God? You say, I'm terrible. They don't exist for that. That's all nonsense. What's interesting is how many spiritual practices are going to end when Jesus brings the new heaven and the new earth. You won't ever read your Bible again. This is the only shot you got at it. This life is the only chance you get to read your Bible. Uh, prayer will be totally different in heaven. So there's all these invitations, you know, like we were saying, you're not going to stop a conversation or worship time of Jesus to go and have a prayer meeting. You're just, heaven is, the new heaven and the new earth is in and of itself communion with God. It's prayer. Worship. There'll be no need to fast. There'll be nothing to fast for. There'll only be a celebration. So some of the practices which we have this life as an opportunity to engage with, we will uh, no longer have, so, so have it, because these are expiring resources, and they exist in this life for us to connect to God. And if you're not connecting with God through them, either change how you're doing them or don't do them. Do something else. And uh, so we've looked at a bunch, and this week we're looking at small groups. I hope last week, just think about it, we looked at blessing, uh, and I hope that you've been able to this week be a blessing to others, or that you've been blessed by others. Um, it was great at our rest night, at our Sabbath dinner, as we sat down, Nas said, hey, tonight around dinner, I want us each to take an opportunity to think about how we can bless each other with words. And it was, it was just, I mean, it took about 10 minutes for the smallest ones to understand what was being asked. Uh, but once they got their small brains around it, um, it, they were amazing. And here's these little people. They don't have no resources, financial. They can't go, yeah, I want to bless you with a house, dad and mom, or a car, or I'll buy the groceries this week. They, they, all they've got is good intentions put into words. I hope that God makes this year a really special one where you know His ways, where you see His hand. Wow, thank you. That's more than you could have ever given me. If that's how this year is, Whoa. You know, anyway, so this week we're looking at small groups. So we'll get into it. And as I said, if you're a visitor, welcome. We are going to break up into small groups. Um, and that will probably, trust me, in a in few minutes of being in those small groups, it will be more relaxing than just sitting as an audience member. Okay, when we started King's Cross, one of the questions we asked ourselves was, how do we want to take care of people? That's an obvious question to, to think about when at the beginning of a church. Um, and we knew we wanted to avoid two things. We wanted to avoid the Sunday show, and we wanted to avoid the a community cult, the commune cult. And uh, within my own marriage, I have more of a drift to the Sunday show because I'm a little bit more introverted than my wife. And my wife has a, a, a larger drift, maybe all the way, to commune cult. She, she would, in her heart of hearts, would love that, but knows that it's not the best way to go about 
disrupt uh, our faith. And so she pulls herself back towards center. So we experienced that in our own uh, marriage, that kind of difficult. And we wanted to find something in the middle where Sundays weren't the big show. If you didn't come to Sundays, you missed out on everything. But they're still essential. They're important. Don't forsake the gathering of believers. It's important to worship together and uh, all of that stuff that hopefully you know. However, we also um, didn't want to build this kind of community that's kind of so tight that you can control each other's lives. That different people, you know, know, if you heard 10 people say to the village to raise a child, they would all mean different things by that. Because some people's villages mean, I can come into your house and discipline your children when they're frustrating me. Uh, That's not the kind of village that we want to promote. On the same end, we don't want to uh, build something where we kind of, we're part of the church, we're members of, of, of the same church, but we have no interest in each other's lives. So I, I hear quite frequently um, of King's Cross, those who are more on the margins, you know, I can come and I don't like that someone called and asked where I was. Uh, and we understand that culturally. But actually, if we want to build a healthy church, someone has to call and ask where you are. Because to not call and ask where you are is to go, you weren't there and I don't care. It didn't matter. It didn't change anything. I'm not saying that should happen every week. I'm just saying, if you haven't shown up for a few weeks, hopefully there's someone who noticed and says, hey, it's different without you. Where are you? Are you okay? Are you alive? Do you need anything? Oh, no, I've just been suntanning on the beach. Okay, that's stupid. Don't do that. Come on back. Uh, Put Jesus above all and others before yourself. Oh, I've actually been in hospital. Man, I wish I'd know. I'll be over. What do you need? Right, But that kind of cultural response is, I don't like it, it's too invasive, I don't want people to call me if I don't show up, it's too much pressure. You, you can't get that in a healthy church. You can't escape the pressure in a healthy church that people care and love you. Because if you're following Jesus and you don't show up, guess who notices? Jesus. He cares. So we wanted to find something in between. And uh, so our thoughts were guided by a few scriptures. That's where you go. Uh, if, if you're a young Christian and you want all the answers to all your questions, open the Bible and go find the answers. Maybe there's not the specific answers to specific questions, but you will find guidance in God's word for everything you need to know. Uh, in Peter, Peter writes, Every believer is like a living stone being built up into a spiritual house where they are all priests. The job of a priest is to connect in the Old Testament was to connect the people to God, to make sacrifices, a blessed worship to God, to give blessings from God upon the people. And Peter goes, the church, you don't have elders and pastors that are these stand-betweens between uh, you and God. So on Sundays, the elders come and they pull, pull, tell you what God, how God blesses you and what He wants from you. Uh, and then during the week, they go make sacrifices because of all your sins. You know, go to Mark and Josh's house, there's always a burning barbecue because they're always sacrificing because of so-and-so. Call them in, they'll kill a dove for you. We, the, Peter says, no, we're all priests. We stand, uh, we connect each other to God. We, we serve each other. We bless each other. We do that function, all of us together. So the kids in kids' ministry if, if, have an opportunity. There's a chance that they might act like a priest between you and God. If you've just got saved, you are being formed into a priest. Maybe you're not called to be a pastor, but spiritually, you're going to function like a priest, connecting people to God and connecting God to people. And so we all have this function. So it's like, okay, well, then we can't have professionals. You know, Mark and Josh are the professionals, and then we are all priests. So what does that look like? Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says, God gave uh, the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
if King's Cross grows because of only the preaching at King's Cross is amazing and, and, and it grows by hundreds and thousands and everyone wants to come because of the preacher, if that's the only reason we have a crowd, then we've failed. King's Cross is not a healthy church. It's, getting, it's a place where there's good Bible teaching, but, it, but a healthy church has the body growing in ministry. Uh, this is an, a difficult thing to say because it's actually, in a way, measurable. Are the saints being equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ? That's what work of ministry looks like, that they build up the body of Christ, that your life, your existence, your participation in whatever church you're a part of is good for that church. It's building it up. It's equipping the saints, whether it's out there ministry like evangelism and that, or whether it's in here ministry like encouragement and discipleship. Until we all attain the, the mature, uh, maturity in Christ, everyone is like a part of the body which works together to build itself up in love. And then Acts 2, 42 46, in 40, there's, there's a whole long thing, but in 46 uh, it says, Luke writes, they continued to meet in the temple courts and their homes. They had big gatherings and they had smaller gatherings. And so we, we look at all these and we're like, well, how do we make sure that people are cared for? And these kind of texts and other texts in Corinthians, uh, other Paul's writing, it became clear that the, the first churches, the people were discipled to take care of one another. That John and Jill and Jack and Jeremy and whatever were all discipled to take care of one another. That it wasn't, a, you know, look to the front, look to the pastors for all you need. Now, there's a temptation to want to be that because that serves a heart idol. It's nice to feel needed. But in reality, it's not beneficial for the body of Christ. And so the model that, they, that you see of this like big gatherings, small gatherings, is really actually quite profound. It's not only uh, you know, accidental, that's what they were led into by the Holy Spirit. It's actually quite profound because it allowed every single person to be personally cared for and the church to continue multiplying, the gospel to continue multiplying. So the Lord added to their number 3,000 in a day. Early church. They haven't got elders, they haven't got pastors, they haven't got deacons. There's no real structure yet. Now, it does get developed. So to like look at that and go, that's what God wants. You know, lose all the structure, lose all the... Well, go read the rest of your Bible. It's not where it ends. But there's something within that community, the, the discipleship of that community, that allows for masses to come in and still be cared for and the gospel to still be multiplied. And so there's this hunger. And, and, uh, and we'll... we'll um, for everyone to be cared for and for the, the gospel to still be able to grow. Um, and so when we looked for a specific design of pastoral care, we found Luke 9 surprisingly helpful. And I'll read the part that was so helpful to us. On their return, the apostles told him all that Jesus all they had done. So Jesus had given them a power to cast out demons, heal the sick, and preach the gospel. So now they've returned from that. And he took them and withdrew a part, uh, a part of a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had uh, need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to Jesus, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are uh, here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Uh, for there were about 5,000 men. 
And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So Jesus had sent the disciples out to proclaim the gospel. He had given them his authority over demons and to heal. Uh, and then they had returned to Jesus pumped up about what had happened. They had never experienced such profound ministry in their life. So you can imagine like this atmosphere with the 12 and Jesus, you know, it's pumped up like, Jesus, we're ready. This is, this is, let's do this. And then he goes, okay, let's get away from here. I want to uh, spend some time with you. Um, 5,000 men follow them. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, like not just a few. 5,000 from all the city, words getting around. Okay, let's go to Jesus. He's gone away somewhere. Um, so 5,000 uh, men were there, and then Jesus welcomes them and, and teaches them all day. This wasn't in his schedule, um, but he's ready. Uh, the day's ending. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, here's our pastoral care plan. It won't be good for these 5,000 people to be here. Uh, there's dehydration concerns. Uh, it, it could get bad. It could become a medical uh, emergency. So let's send them out into the villages to go make sure they get the provisions they need. And we can start over again tomorrow. And Jesus goes, no, I've got a different pastoral care plan. Nothing wrong with that one. But you feel it. And they go, okay, we can do that, but we need to go then into the cities and buy enough food for 5,000 people. How are we going to do that? In other words, it's easier to distribute all the people than they can individually go and get bread from homes and etc. than for us 12 to somehow go and collect enough for 5,000. And uh, Jesus says, no, the way that we're going to do it is uh, go and get the 5,000, uh, and there may have been women and children as well, but go get the 5,000 and get them to sit in groups of 50. And then we'll take it from there. So they go do that. It says everyone's sitting down. So not just stand. Like it's quite practical. Get into groups of about 50 and sit down in your group. They do that. Once that is done and you're looking over the masses and you can see about 100 groups of 50 and everyone's sitting down ready. Jesus takes the, the little food he has in his hands and then prays for it. And then gives it to his disciples and they take it, the 12 of them distribute it. So 12 go to the 50. They have a set of, a set of um, I don't know, 10 groups each about that they go and take food to. And then it says at the end that there were 12 baskets of, of leftover food, which means each one of the disciples brought back the scraps. Now, I know that you followed me. The amount of food, there should have been nothing left over in the first group but there was scraps left over in 12 baskets. So a miracle has happened. But, but look at this. I mean, it's like mind-blowing. Jesus is going to multiply food for thousands of people from nothing, but at the same time, he's going to make them sit in little groups. It's so practical and so supernatural. And often, we don't want practical and supernatural. We want the supernatural, like, you know, I uh, came from culture, church culture many years ago. Uh, that was quite charismatic as a kid. Uh, the prophetic always wanted to interrupt worship. The, whatever God was saying had to be said now, in the song. And there's like the, no, the supernatural, God speaking, God saying something. Let's lean into that. Or can it wait till after worship? No, 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 no. That's a rejection of the Holy Spirit. 
there's like, no, the practical and the supernatural don't have to be separated. They can be together. How is it the most practically wise for Jesus to supernaturally feed these people? And, and so that's a pastoral care question. How do we most practically take spiritual care for the people of God and see Him at work? Um, and so, like Jesus, uh, small groups uh, is the answer. Biblically, it's the answer in the, the church. is what Jesus did with wisdom. So, we're going to divide up into groups, and I'm going to ask you the first question uh, to, to help me uh, think it out. And then I'd like to, to have a few answers. But what are the likely differences being in a group of 5,000 or 50? Think of the scenario. What's likely to be different if Jesus tried to feed in the 5,000 or Jesus tried to feed in the 50 groups of about 50? Okay, find your groups. You're welcome to move around the room. Uh, Pick groups of two or three or four, because if it's groups of ten, you may not have a chance to participate. Um. All right. Um, we're going to help, help each other along here. So what are some likely differences? Yell some out, one at a time. Bigger circle. All right. Thank you. Nice. Let's start at the bottom. <laughs> Easy to be overlooked in a group of 5,000 or overlook others. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible not to. Yeah. Miracles more personal in the group of 50. Yeah. You hear that? Yeah. Great. What else? Yeah. 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 Good. Excellent. You, so you don't even, you, there's a chance of not perceiving the miracle. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we keep going, we, we, we're, we're all aware of those, those things that kind of come to light. Um, that the personal touch of Jesus reaches you in a small group in a dynamic way that doesn't in a large group of 5,000. You're not sure if he's caring for me or just for us. Where in the 50, there's this like provision to you. You know others, right? Like I went to a U2 concert with 45,000 people. I didn't meet the person sitting next to me. I watched the Dockers play. I didn't meet the person sitting next to me. I can keep telling you about big, big groups. You know, you, you, Somehow the bigger the group, the more you feel like you can just stay inside of your lane. The smaller the group, it's intimidating because <laughs> you have to go, hey, my name's Mark. Uh, that's, that's why people struggle sometimes with the size of King's Cross. Why? Because they walk through the door and someone is going to notice them. And say, hello, oh no, oh no. 
it's really wonderful. You can't get away with it. So in a small group, you're going to get known, right? I mean, you can build walls and stuff, but someone is going to make eye contact and introduce themselves. Someone's going to know your name in a small group. It's also likely that leadership arises. Uh, in a group of 5,000, no one's going to take responsibility for that. Who can? But in a group of 50, it's likely that a nominated leader, you know, like, hey, you, go get the basket of food, right? And suddenly you have someone taking responsibility. Is anyone fed? You know, it's informal leadership, but it's likely that someone rises up to take responsibility within a small group just to check in. It's also interesting, I think, just thinking of it spiritually, not only, like Holly said, may you miss out on care. So not only may you miss out on the miracle, you may you, 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 the food might miss you completely. But in the smaller group, you can also eat till you're full. In the bigger group, you can't. So it's not only how little you can get, which is potentially nothing. It's how much you can get, which is you keep getting until you're full. So in a group of about 50, I'm still hungry. The basket still has scraps. Keep going. Right? And so the point is, the dynamic care that you receive, the same group of people receive in a small group versus a large group, is obvious to us. Um, and so, King's Cross, we've never had the privilege of the problem of 5,000 people and, and how do we spiritually feed them. But the same concern of Jesus has been in our hearts of how do you take care of God's people? How do you feed God's people and ensure everyone's being taken care of? We know, those who preach, that not every sermon is going to land in everyone's heart in the time that you preach. It's a little bit disappointing, but that's just the fact. It's very disappointing. That's just the fact. When I was younger, I tried to preach every sermon to every heart every week. Now, if I can reach one or two people, I go home buzzed, uh, right? But in small groups, you're going to be able to uh, land the same message, same text, more dynamically in each other's lives. How are you responding to that? What's going on in your life? Uh, where do you lack faith? Where do you have faith? How has God taught you? What is God challenging you? Same body of truth getting massaged into the hearts and the lives of people. Um, so our concern of, and, and small groups help us care for people. It's interesting as well that Jesus, his uh, eternal existence has been in community, all of it except for one moment. In his whole eternal existence, Jesus lived in, you know, try to explain the Trinity. I can't. Maybe you can. Uh, no one can. Uh, but in there is community. Then as a, as a man, Jesus is born into family, media community. He never, ever leaves his identity in community, even though he's the Messiah, even though he's the Christ. He's always in community. What that means is there's always a part of him that's giving out and in need of others. Even in his ministry, he needs to use other people's houses to keep discipling in community. He needs to use other people's food. He needs to use other people's donkey. He needs to, you know, he, he's in community, being the Messiah, but still in, in need of others. Except for one moment, where on the cross he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in the whole existence of, of, God, of Christ, He's out of community. And in that same moment, we are invited into community. The same moment he steps out of community, a door opens for all humanity to believe in Christ and come into community with God. And then Christ is raised and we, 
we are all brought back together. We are in Christ, Christ is in us, and we stand in the eternal community of God and one another. And that was the way into it. It's, it's radical and profound. And Jesus shared himself, interestingly, uh, while on earth, uh, shared himself to, in proportion to kind of the size of the group. So when, when he has these crowds, Jesus, he shares himself, but he mainly ministers, teaches, and trains at this kind of large, you know. Then the 72 that followed him, he explains his teaching further. So like some of the parables that he taught to the crowd, he takes his disciples of 72 or 100, and he explains it a little bit further to them. He goes deep with them. They have, they have better access to him. And then he goes to the 12, and not only does he expound his teaching far more with, with them and start telling them about the future things also, he also shares his needs with them. I need you to pray with me. I need you uh, to, you know, he shares himself, his, his needs, his desperation. You think of God of Gethsemane. In his greatest moment of need, he comes and he calls his disciples to pray for him and with him. And then the three. Oh, Jesus shares everything. Jesus lets them see his divine glory. When he, Jesus lets them see his anguish. And so Jesus has these small groups from the large, in, in which he, the, more, the smaller it gets, the more he's, there's this kind of you and I, the more he's showing himself. So, Bibi, the church, has this design. Jesus practically uses design for caring. And then Jesus models it in his own life point here is to try and say small groups while, while gathering like this is essential to a healthy church small groups are vital to the pastoral care of that healthy church and to have an identity in one it shouldn't be um should i shouldn't i do i want to it's not like a it's, it's not like an option here's the church menu here's what we have to offer you you pick what you want. Let us know your order and we'll get it to you. It's like, here, yeah, as you with Jesus, what you need is to have an identity in a small group. Small groups. So, question to discuss in groups. What experiences of small groups have you had and how have they shaped your faith? Now, I just want to say, the assumption is not that the experiences have all been good. Sometimes people are burnt out because they had an, an experience in a small group that was terrible, that rocked them, and they're gun-shy now. So the point is, be honest in your small group about your experiences of small group and how they've shaped your faith. Go for it. All right, um, let me bring it back in. I'm sure you didn't all get a chance to share, but, but hopefully a few of you did. So those of you who take the Unite course, the Unite membership class, and there's, uh, you'll find this out, but one of the agreements, one of the commitments everyone makes, there's nine commitments that people make to become a member of King's Cross. One of the nine commitments that they make 
is a commitment to join a small group if it's possible. In other words, if all the small groups are only available when you work, it's not possible, right? You, until your job changes or, or small groups are added or something. But if it's possible, there's a commitment. And so every member of King's Cross has said yes to participating in a small group, um, uh, being a member of a small group. And at King's Cross, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, what that means for about 90, 80 to 90% of the people is a community group. Those have been the primary groups, not the only small groups, but the primary small groups that we have. Um, and community groups became part of our pastoral, a formal part of our pastoral care strategy. Uh, so we've always had more than 80% of the members participating in community groups. So that's, that's been fantastic. It means midweek, one, uh, 40 weeks in a year, people are getting together in homes and working through Sunday message uh, or other material if we bring that through. But primarily they're working through the text, what's God doing, uh, follow on from Sunday. So we coined a phrase, you know, on, on, at Sundays, um, truth meets life. This is what God's word says and what does it mean in our culture? And then community groups, uh, truth be, uh, what is it, truth becomes life or something, the point of how we walk in that out, how are we responding to that? Um, and so C.S. Tang visited us. He's a pastor from Sydney and he, he kind of just helped us formalize this. And so our pastoral care strategy to this day almost uh, eight or nine years later, is four parts. Number one is preaching. That's the first. We all sit under God's Word together. God's Word is the primary pastoral carer of the church God is, and the way that He cares for us is through His Word. Um, number two is small groups, and that in King's Cross is primarily, but not exclusively, community groups. Uh, then elders, then professionals. Um, so the difference in this is on... For preaching, there's a 2 Timothy, uh, Paul writes and says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So we all need this. Paul's saying, our life, you know, we all need to know God's Word. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So we all sit under uh, God's Word together in these environments. And so... At King's Cross, we really do uh, guard the, the pulpit or the pulpit ministry, not to say that uh, we never get it wrong, but to say we value it quite highly we, uh, because we believe it's one of the primary ways God cares for us is through His Word. Number two, community groups. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said, let us think of, of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. So there's actually like thinking and energy that gets taken up in community groups as we care about each other's lives, as we think about how to encourage and challenge each other as we cost each other. Um, in, uh, my community group knows me better than most anyone else in King's Cross, except maybe uh, it, those in an eldership environment where, we, where uh, they would know me probably better. But in community group, Nass and I, it, it's, it's all out there. It's what, what's going on in your life. How are you responding to this word? What's God teaching you? What's God doing in your life? It was wonderful towards the end of last year. It wasn't necessary, but someone in the community group, in order to think about how to care for us and love us, and went, why don't we just take responsibility for community group? You guys participate. We'll do all the, the, the facilitating. And the, uh, it was like, this is a way that we can help you um, just relax a little bit. 
wasn't necessary. We, we were able to participate in other ways as well. But that was a, you know, we, I'm just saying, I've received incredible personal care in my community group um, and continue to. Uh, number three, elders. So sometimes community group leaders can't deal with things. Uh, they maybe they feel, look, community group leaders um, aren't, aren't like the, the best Christians necessarily. They're not like super um, knowledgeable about everything or the most competent or skillful. They're, they're great brothers and sisters, reliable brothers and sisters, people you can trust and open your heart to, but there's a limit to their capacity, different ways, shapes, or forms. Some community group leaders are great at dealing with marriage issues. Some community group leaders are, don't, don't really have skill in that way. So when the within a community group, sometimes there's issues that come up that they go, this is not something we feel we can disciple someone through. Send them to the elders. Then we can step in and get involved, and we do. And then sometimes it's issues that we can't take care of, uh, and we have to push people towards professionals. Um, so we are spiritual carers. We aren't doctors. Not every problem is a spiritual problem. And so this year, I think I recommended six people to a professional to go and have a conversation or get something checked out. Just something that's, hey, man, this, isn't, this is not something uh, you need me for. <laughs> you need me to encourage you to go see that person and ask you how it's going and to pray with you, and to walk with you, and to keep up with you. But uh, let's see how God can use professionals to help you along. And so that's our pastoral care strategy. Everyone under the word, as many as possible in small groups, when necessary, meet with the elders. And then, uh, you know, sometimes you need to call on professionals. Next question. When you think of doing life in community, what meaning do you attach to that? How does it challenge you? So, you know, some of, some of you might go, I absolutely love it. I can't wait to walk into community group. I've already got my notes. And I'm just going to tell you everything that's going on in me. <laughs> you just then hear it. <laughs> Others arrive going, oh no, someone's going to ask how I am. How do I get around this? Oh, I know how to get around this. I'll text my community group leader and say, sorry, work's going late. I can't come tonight. <laughs> you think you're so creative. Um, all right. So uh, when you think of doing life in community, what meaning do you attach to that? How does it challenge, how does it challenge you? Go for it. Let's chat. Be as honest as you can. All right. All right. Sorry to interrupt you again. Time is up. Um, what I want to do just to kind of draw this towards a close is, is I'm going to quickly go through some principles for every small group uh, with you. Um, I'm going to give you some of Bill Hull's principles. He, he's a guy from Navigators. They do discipleship very well. And I'll give you three of my own. I'm just going to work through them very quickly. Then we're going to um, ask you a, a big hitting question, uh, which I've always found helpful. My father-in-law asked it in a way uh, many years ago, and it, it, I, it's a principle I work through almost, I work through many things in my life through. It's just a gr great question. Then we're going to um, take communion, but we're going to not take it. We're going to just come fetch the elements, and then I'm going to do it while we hold them. 
We're going to do an interview with new community group leaders quickly. And then we'll pray and take him, Josh will lead us into taking communion together as a church in that great moment, a moment representative of that moment that Jesus stepped out of divine community so that we could step in, a door open to us. All right, so that's where we're going in the next like 10 or so minutes. Um, when you, uh, principles of every small group, and these will go up online so you don't have to scramble to uh, type them into your phone. Uh, number one, join a small group. Uh, so Bill says that you join a small group because this is a step towards biblical discipleship. If you want to follow Jesus, join a small group. Um, over here, you commit to developing Christ-centered relationships with each other. So it's not like, go join a club. Um, you know, I joined my, my local hockey club. No, go join a small group of people who are going to commit to following Jesus together and whatever that means. And so over time, these result in deep relationships with each other, Jesus, and strengthen your faith. It does take time. So you go after three, you know, after 10 weeks, this small group is a waste of my time. You haven't been through enough in life in 10 weeks to know how strong it is. You've got to walk together for a while uh, to be able to need each other, to be able to pray for each other, to be able to see God do something that you can celebrate together. Um, and so you just kind of commit to it and you walk together. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go alone, uh, quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Don't we know how true that is? Any parent knows to get the job done quickly, don't include your children. <laughs> to disciple children that have your values and your culture, slow down. Keep them involved. Um, it's a problem I have all the time. Number two, commit to a structure. Now, I alluded to some people. Some people push against structure primarily and I'm one of those people that don't always like a lot of structure. Primarily, it's because we're selfish uh, and we want to have control over our own lives. What, what structure does is it takes away that control I can have of my independence in agreement of a community control in my life. Um, but if you like me, get over yourself. Uh, God uses structure. If he didn't, your body would just to the ground. It's all around you. It's in his uh, code of nature. So we create expectations on each other, and you can write this down. It's actually very helpful to write it down and just have this like memorandum of understanding. Here's what we agree to. Here's what we're going to we help each other for Jesus. Can be things like showing up. Just being reliable is one of the most underrated Christian characteristics in this society. You want to you want to show people the light of Jesus? Show up. Be reliable. Do what you say. That will knock people's socks off. Uh, participate. Don't just show up. Engage. Arrive on time, unless it's not possible. Um, the point of this is that our character, who we're becoming, is shaped by the habits that we keep. So you develop the character of reliability by showing up when it's hard. You know, so if you want to be a reliable person, practice showing up <laughs> you don't start at character you end at characters what happens like going to the gym you don't start at muscles you get there i think um, uh, by working out um so the point if you want character if you want reliability if you want to develop the character of jesus do have some practices that get you there that help nurture those and you agree those together not to hold them over each other's heads but just to encourage each other towards a friend of mine once said to me mark you're unreliable you don't do, when you say you're going to show up, 
you don't. You come whenever you want. Man, I cut deep. But that had changed my life. I can remember exactly where I was standing. Max Lopez. Mike, I feel dishonored. In other words, Mike, I think you think your life's more important than my life because we said you'd show up at one, but you didn't. Thanks, Max. It wasn't a one-time thing. I see I do that regularly. Please forgive me. Um, now, God, please help me. It was so helpful. He wasn't hanging something over my head. He was calling me to walk like Jesus. Bernard Shaw said, George Bernard Shaw said, I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community for as long as I live. It is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. Wow. That's from someone who wasn't a Christian. My life belongs to the community for as long as I live. It's my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up. That sounds to me like Anna's motto for life. But who in this room hasn't been blessed by her? Because she wants to be thoroughly used up when she dies. For the harder she works, the more she lives. Wow. That's definitely true of Jesus. Now, in that, Jesus would add rest and care for our souls. Number three, aim for genuine intimacy. So the structure only works when we bond together. So in the long, you know, love has to form. Care for each other has to form. And the structure helps you get there. But if you don't open up to each other and build intimacy for each other, everything else isn't, there's no point. Number four, be open-hearted. So leave room for others to join. Sometimes these groups become so special that you, you, close, you, you close other people out. Don't do that. Stay open-hearted. Um, if there's practical reasons, like community groups, not every community group should grow because dynamics change. Somewhere between 3 and 12 is perfect. If they go beyond that, they start to become more like the 72, where you have spectators rather than engagers. So sometimes a community group leader may go, no, sorry, we're full. Uh, we don't have the capacity for it right now. That's okay. If it gets beyond that, then point number five, plan to multiply. Get ready because it's not useful beyond 12. Well, it is, but not for that kind of deep engagement in each other's lives. Um, so plan to multiply. And this has happened through the generations of, of church. You know, this is what Jesus has done. Jesus' small group has literally changed the world. None of us would be here if Jesus didn't multiply his small group. All of this started in Jesus' small group of 12. It's radical, and it keeps going on. And if he didn't put multiplication into it, then we wouldn't be here. So that's, what, that's our end goal is how do we multiply? How do we take this, disciple each other, grow together, and in a couple of years multiply so that there's room for us to, to grow in the same ways? Uh, ultimately, connecting to Jesus. I would just add uh, these things. I won't go into them. I'd add be reliable, number one. Be, value, be vulnerable, number two. And number three, be faithful. Don't be uh, Eeyore every week. Don't make people's hearts drop because they know every time you share you're going to remind us of the dark cloud that hangs over life that is true be vulnerable go back to step number two be vulnerable but step number three be faithful god's always at work god's answering prayers god's doing stuff see it and share it testify maybe it didn't happen right away but testify show see look and raise people's eyes to look at the glory of god at working in your life and community so be vulnerable, let's be honest, but also let's be faithful and see how God is uh, working in our lives and share that. Okay, last question, Joel, if you can put it up. 
Uh, the question is this, if you were in a small group, how reliable are you? These are just different ways of saying the same thing. If everyone treated small groups as you do, would that build up or diminish the group's identity and value? Um, I'll tell you my father-in-law's question that led to this. He looked out at the church in California and he said, if we had a hundred more people like you, would we be a better or a worse church? Would it be good for us or bad for us? I was a pastor in that church and, I, and my heart sunk. I was like, oh no. I was a pastor in that church and I went, I don't think that would be a good thing. Well, that's just great because every Christian should be, whoever you are, should be able to say great. And there's, there's, there's many of you in King's Cross would be like, man, the way you treat small groups, if everyone was like that, small groups would be awesome. People would be getting discipled left and right. The way that you've, uh, honestly, in our small group, the majority, not everyone, but the majority of people uh, make it so valuable and important that it gives uh, it a, an identity and a meaning that has profoundly shaped NAS in my life. The last two years, because that's how old this community group is that we've led. Busy people. But they've given an identity. So I'm not assuming the worst. Are others giving more to the group than you are? And why? Um, so they're all, they're all versions of my father-in-law's question, which I found so helpful when he said it. And the goal is to be able to say, uh, if you are in a small group, how reliable are you? The goal is to be able to go, very. People can count me. I'm there for them. I'm not the most important person in the room. They're important. I show up for them. If everyone treated the small groups as you do, would that build up or diminish the group's identity and value? Build up. The group would, yeah, it would be fantastic, amazing. Are others giving more to the group than you are and why? Oh, I don't know. I think we're all giving a lot, but I'm making sure that I give as much as I get. Um, right, that's the point. Okay. I spoke about the moment, and we're going to take communion. Um, we're going to hold it. The moment that Jesus invited us into sharing community with God so that we can practice we can enter these practices whether it's fasting or prayer bible reading or sabbath or community or unity uh, whatever it is that we we practice the whole uh, intention is that it's a vehicle to connect with God and one another and that moment happened on the cross as Jesus's blood was spilt as a covenant to us of divine community and his body was broken for our sins, the forgiveness of God, the redemption of sins, paid. And as his body was ripped open, a door opened for us to enter the divine community. And so we're going to hold this. This is we, the elements inviting us into community, not just with one another, but into community with God, into fellowship with him. So why don't you come forward if you're a Christian? You don't have to be a member of King's Cross, but if you're a Christian, why don't you come forward? Grab the elements. Don't take them. We're going to do an interview, and then we're going to... Uh, pray together. Josh will lead us in praying together. So come on down when you're ready.